I don't know if you have noticed, but when you tell somebody where you are from, they automatically make a judgment call on who you are. Have you ever had that experience? Now, I have discovered since we moved to Rocky Mount that if I don't say Rocky Mount, Virginia, they assume I'm from North Carolina. I had had it happen to me. I was in the Richmond area over the weekend. And I, they said, where are you living now? And I said, Rocky Mount. Oh, you're down south in, the North, in Carolina. I said, no, that's Virginia. But we make those assumptions about where, who people are based on where they are from. That's one of the reasons sometimes we ask, where are you from? Now, I want you to think about this with Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which the Bible says is one of the smallest towns in the providence of Judah. So when people heard that he was from Bethlehem instead of from the city of Rome or the city of Jerusalem, born in Bethlehem, they automatically thought, what a small little tiny place. Then as he went into childhood, his parents moved to Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was one of those towns that was considered to be on the wrong side of the tracks. In fact, when one of Jesus' future disciples learned that he was from Nazareth, his comment was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, Jesus and all the other people who came out of Nazareth had a common problem, and that is back in those days you didn't have a last name, so your last name was the town you were from. That's how they identified you. He was known as Jesus of Nazareth because that's where he was from. They would identify you as so-and-so from Franklin County or so-and-so from Rocky Mount. So if you're from this town that everybody looks down on and you have to go around your entire life saying, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, can you imagine the facial expressions that he got all the time? I mean, it's bad enough that you know, you're walking around claiming to be the Son of God, but the Son of God coming out of Nazareth, get real. God in his right mind would not have his son come out of Nazareth. Out of Rome, yes. Out of Jerusalem, of course. But not out of Nazareth. What was God trying to say to us by having his son born in Bethlehem and then moving him to Nazareth? I think he was trying to say to us, live in humility. Be humble. My son was born in a small town. He grew up in a town everybody looked down on. He got looked down on his whole life because where he was from. But he did what he did in humility. He got done what he got done because he was humble. And folks, if you and I are going to know the will of God and live the will of God, it is not primarily that we get all the facts straight about where God wants us and what God wants us to do. Is that if we will learn to live in humility then we'll understand what the will of God is. And even more important, then we'll start living out the will of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome, the believers living at Rome. And he's going to talk about humility as he outlines what it means to love Jesus, to live for Jesus, and to serve Jesus. Romans chapter 12. Now, when the gospel first came to the capital city of the Roman Empire, the city of Rome, the largest city of its day, the most powerful city of its day, probably the wealthiest city of its day. When it came to Rome, it found acceptance not in the city of Rome initially, but across the river 
And what I told you about previously, the Traversity District. Now, the Trastevere District is across the river from the city of Rome, across the Tigris River from the city of Rome. And this was a run-down area. Had all these big apartment buildings that were poorly constructed, that were known to collapse, a lot of poverty. And if you lived on the right side of the river, you didn't want to come over to that district. You avoided it. That was considered where the poor folks lived. It was considered rough. You name it. And that was where the gospel first took root. People first came to Christ was in that district. But as time went by, folks started trusting Christ over in the city of Rome. Even people began to come to Christ who worked in Caesar's palace. And so now you have a very interesting situation in Rome because you've got a group of Christians on one side of the river that are in dirt poverty, everybody looks down on, and on the other side of the city of Rome, even in the palace area, you've got another set of Christians who are working for the emperor, who are well-educated, who are making pretty good money, and people look up to, what are these Christians who are on the right side of the river, how are they going to think and relate to the people who are on the wrong side of the river? Two different socioeconomic groups with all of them claiming to be followers of Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul is going to speak to in Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Let's read it again. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Sermon outline is containing your bulletin, back page. Please follow along if you will. Paul says live with his purpose, and his purpose for us is to live in humility. Notice what he says. He says live in harmony with each other. Now, the word harmony there means to aim at the same object. It's the idea that all of us are thinking together in the same direction. Some of you may remember years ago, Burger King had a theme. Have it your way. Have it your way. And the idea was if you go to Burger King... You get to have it your way. You get to have the burger that you want the way you want to have it. Their claim to fame at that time was that they would dress your burger any way you wanted. So you get to have it your way. I was talking uh, to a pastor search committee, not the one here. I want to specify that. But I was talking to one years ago, and I was asking them to describe the church to me. And one of the members of the committee said, well, this is Burger King Baptist. Everybody wants to have it their own way. I thought that was interesting, Burger King Baptist. (laughs) But you see, folks, when we get into this mindset that we got to have it our way, then that just creates all kinds of disruption in the body of Christ. He's saying, I want you to live in harmony. I want you to think the same purpose the same way. Now, that doesn't mean that we agree on everything, but it means that the way we think 
think about everything is, does this honor Jesus? Does this glorify Jesus? Does this advance the kingdom of God? Is Jesus first in that? Not do I like this? Does this meet my preferences? Does this set me up for what I want? But we think the same way in that our purpose is to honor, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to discipline ourselves to get to that place. Now, sometimes I've always, through the years that I've been a pastor, I've noticed some folks will say, well, I think God wants us to do this, or I think God wants us to do that, and we just sort of go in other directions. I learned that basic principle, God is not schizophrenic. He doesn't tell his people to go to do and be two different things. And Paul's saying here, I want you to think together about following him. Imagine an orchestra where everybody sits down with a different sheet of music that's got their own tune that they prefer, and they start playing it. What's it going to sound like? It's going to be horrible, isn't it? Compared to an orchestra that everybody's got the same sheet of music, and they're moving in it together. And what does the conductor do? One of his major responsibilities of a conductor is to bring everybody together on the same sheet of music to play together in harmony. That's what we like listening to. And what he's saying here is let God be your conductor. Church at Rome, let the Lord conduct you. Let him get you on the same sheet of music. You all be playing together the tune that he gives you to his honor and to his glory. You let God be your conductor. Don't let your background be your conductor. Don't let your preferences be your conductor. Don't let your prejudices be your conductor. Let him be your conductor. And when you do that, people are going to like what they hear. When you do that, it's going to draw and attract people to Jesus. You see, one of the major reasons that God wants His church to be together with Him as our conductor, us walking in humility, listening to Him, moving together, is because that draws people to Jesus. That attracts people to Jesus. People want to be a part of that. When we're just sort of all pulling in our own direction, doing our own thing, and all wrapped up in ourselves, the biggest problem with that is not that it divides the body of Christ. That's bad enough, but people look at that and listen to that, and they say, I don't want to be a part of that. And by deference, they're saying, I don't want to follow Jesus. But when we move together, people are drawn to Jesus. Now, how do we get to that place of humility? Number one, we have to value each other more than we value our opinions. We have to value each other more than we value our own opinions. In other words, my brothers and sisters in Jesus are more important to me than my opinions are. That at the end of the day, being connected to each other as the body of Christ is a higher priority than my opinion. I had a brother in Christ say to me several years ago, he says, you know, whenever there's a disagreement, there's one person's opinion and another person's opinion, and then there's God's opinion. But we tend to think that our opinion is God's opinion. But in most cases, that's not necessarily the case. What is the Lord's opinion? Number two, my identity is in Christ. My identity is not in my opinion. My identity is not in my position, my title, or my place. When you read the epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 
you're going to see a two-word phrase that Paul uses over and over again. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And why does he just stay on that over and over and over again? Because he's trying to drive it into the heads of the believers. He's trying to drive it into our heads. That our identity is in Jesus. My identity is not being a pastor. My identity is being in Christ. Wherever you serve in the life of the church, that's not where your identity is. Your identity is in Christ. Whatever titles you carry in life, that's not your ultimate identity. Your ultimate and final identity is that you and I are in Christ. And if we can ever get that sunk down in us and live in that, that what it means to be in Christ, I am loved by Him, I am accepted by Him, I live in Him, I move in Him, Jesus is surrounding me, He is at work in me, and I have my identity in that I belong to Him. You can't get any higher, you can't get any better than being in Christ. Christ. So many times the, the fights we have and the disagreements we have about I want this position, I want that position, I want to hold this title, I want to hold that title, and we lose sight of the fact that the greatest identity we can have is not in a title or a position. It's being in Christ. Third, seek the purpose of God. His overall purpose for us and for His church. And that takes prayer and that takes patience. Seeking his purpose. And then four, this is the most difficult of all. Be willing to receive correction. Be willing to receive correction. Most of us do not like to receive correction. We don't receive correction with a smile on our face and joy. We are resistant to receiving correction. And yet receiving correction is God's way of getting us to where He wants us. Now, notice what He says next. Do, don't be haughty or prideful. Or when I was growing up, He used the term, don't be snot-nosed about it. I know that gives you a wonderful <laughs> mental picture there, but He gets the point across. Don't be haughty. The idea there, the word is, is don't set your mind upon yourself. I'm cool, I got my act together, everybody ought to listen to me, follow me, follow everything that I'm saying. He says, don't live haughty, but he says, associate with people of low degree. You see, what he's saying here to us is the way you correct a prideful attitude and spirit is by associating with people that are not prideful. You and I walk with people who think, they got their nose in the air and think the greatest thing in the world. It won't take us long before we got our nose in the air right with them. We think we're the greatest thing in the world. He said, don't walk with the prideful. Walk with people who've got humility. But he's also the saying, the idea there is that take yourself where you and I may think we're up here in discipline. Force yourself to reach out to people who are supposedly below where you are, and that will deal with the pride issue. I want you to think about Jesus. Jesus goes to the town of Jericho one day, and as he's walking through Jericho, there's this guy there named Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus is blind. Now, back in those days, if you had a physical impairment such as blindness, there were no social safety nets. So you literally were at the mercy of everybody. And so what the blind people would do is they would go to town and they would take a blanket or a cover or a piece of clothing. They would put it out on the street and they would just begin to yell. Would you give me some money? Would you give me some money? And people would walk by and they would throw a few coins at them. Now, those kind of folks were looked down on. 
just sitting there getting dust kicked up in your face all day long, hollering, would somebody help me out? People would look down on them. They were sort of looked upon as like trash. But what does Jesus do when he hears blind Bartimaeus calling out for him? He stops. And he walks over to Bartimaeus. And he reaches out and he gets involved in Bartimaeus' situation and condition. Now, when Jesus did that, we tend to read that from our culture and we say, well, that was a nice, compassionate thing for Bartimaeus to do. I mean, for Jesus to do to Bartimaeus. But in reality, when that happens, people would have looked and said, what is Jesus doing? Is he losing his mind, bothering with somebody like Bartimaeus? Notice he says, associate with people of low degree. The idea there is to join them in the journey of where they are in life. See them where they are, meet them there, and join them there. I want you to look on the screen and listen to this story. Is growing praise from around the world. A college football star took notice of a young student and then did something that changed his life. CBS 2's Mark Strassman reports now from Tallahassee, Florida. He just sat down with me. Bo Paskey was sitting alone in Monfort Middle School's cafeteria on Tuesday. It was right there. You looked up and there he was? Yeah. And what did he say? He said, what's up, dude? He was Travis Rudolph, a star-wide receiver with a Florida State football team. Five players were visiting the school as part of a community service program. And what did you guys talk about? He asked me, am I, I going to play in the NBA? And I said yes. <laughs> okay. And what did you ask him? I asked him, are you in the NFL? And he said no. One little thing contained. Rudolph told us he noticed a young kid sitting off by himself and headed his way. Once I got those two slices of pizza, I just seen him by himself, and I was like, hey, this is like a spotlight, I guess. It's just something clicked in my head. Just let me go ask him if I can sit with him and eat lunch with him. Someone snapped a photo of Bo and his new friend having lunch with no one else sitting close and sent it to the sixth grader's mother. Bo. Right Bo is autistic. And many days, no one sits with him at lunch. The thought of him eating alone gets to you. Yes, absolutely. Leah Paskey will always remember the college football player's kindness to her son. He could have sat with anybody. Could have sat with anybody. And yet he picked... He picked Bo. Bo. Yeah. Who was sitting by himself. Yes. So I'm just um, moved with emotion at his generosity and his kindness. I don't, I, again, I haven't spoken to him. I don't know what made him pick Bo, but I'm so grateful he did. I'm so grateful he did. That was so kind. She thanked Rudolph in a Facebook post. This is one day I didn't have to worry if my sweet boy ate lunch alone because he sat across from someone who was a hero in many eyes. That post has been shared thousands of times since. I definitely just hope, you know, that kids just welcome him, him in because, I mean, he's a genuine person and he can always be around me anytime if I was his friend. When Bo walked into lunch on Wednesday, every kid wanted to sit with him. I'm a superstar. Everybody recognizes me. <laughs> Their paths were meant to cross. Yes. You know, it was fate. And that was all the girls were sitting around him. Big man on campus. Great job, mm -hmm. Bo. popular. Yeah, all right. How many people do you and I walk by in life that are sitting by themselves?
that nobody else really wants to associate with. This kid's case, he was autistic. That's the reason nobody wanted to bother with him. You see, when Jesus says here, associate with the lowly, that's what he's talking about. The easiest thing in the world to do is say, well, they're not my kind of person. Or they're going to be difficult to carry on a conversation with. But the Jesus thing to do is what this football player did. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to talk to him. And one football player transformed the whole lunchroom environment. It shouldn't take a football player to do that. When Jesus says associate with the lowly, that's what he's talking about. And folks, God's going to bring some lonely people, some isolated people, across the path of our life, and he's going to ask us to go out and find them and sit with them and invade their lonely space with the love of Jesus. Notice what he says next. Never be wise in your own eyes. Don't think that you and I are worthy of preferential treatment. Someone said the person who's wise in his own eyes is rarely so in the eyes of other people. What he's trying to knock down in us is pride. Pride is chronic, it's deadly, and it is contagious. It's what I call the tuberculosis of the soul. It chokes us out in our ability to have relationships with other people. It means that we feel like we always got to have the last word and usually even the first word. Let me tell you the most difficult time is when you and I are in a discussion with somebody and we disagree and we feel like we have got to win the discussion. And pride means we just continue to argue. Not having a high opinion of ourselves means that we're just willing to let the thing go. Let me ask you, how many of our relationships would be healed or at least start moving towards healing if we would just let the thing go? Well, let me share something with you. When we won't let it go, we can't take a hold of Jesus' hand when our hand's already full of all the junk that we're holding on to. He's saying, let it go. Don't be wise. In your own eyes. Live humble. Do what Travis did. Be willing to cross the room. Do what the Romans were told to do. Cross the river to that other district. Cross to wherever you and I have got to cross to whoever God is calling us and leading us to cross to and reach out to them. And I begin this service today with Jesus' words to the thief on the cross. Lord, you're going to be in your kingdom today. I got enough sense hanging on this cross watching you to know that you're going to be in your kingdom. Which means you're going to be the king. 
which means the angels are going to be worshiping you, which means all the power in the universe is going to be yours. And, and I'm a criminal, and I'm lying here on this cross, and I'm getting everything I deserve. But Jesus, would you just remember me? And do you notice how Jesus responds? The use of the preposition today, not 10,000 years from now, but today, you are going to be with me in paradise. You're not going to be admiring me from a distance while I am in my paradise. You're not going to be sitting there saying, isn't Jesus great? Looking at him in his paradise. I'm not going to knuckle you under with my power while I'm in paradise. Thief on the cross, guilty of everything that you've been charged with. Today you will be. Can you imagine what went through the heart of that dying man when he heard that preposition? Today you will be with me in paradise. That was the humility of Jesus. I'm not too good to go to my kingdom and leave you on a cross. I'm not too good to tell you to stay on earth and admire me. I'm not too good to send you to hell that you deserve. I'm humble enough to say, you are going to be with me in paradise. And folks, there's some folks that need you to say, you'll be with me in friendship. And would you be with me in the journey of life? That's what Travis said to that autistic boy. Would you would be with me at lunch today? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you want us to be with you. And thank you, Lord, that you are calling us to say to other folks, would you be with me in the journey of life? Even people, Lord, that for whatever reasons we may be naturally thought of to look like they're sort of below us, but they're not. Lord, would you, by the power of your Spirit, identify to us this week, even this day, people who don't have a friend, who are isolated, who people walk away from and avoid, and we walk to them. Lord, this afternoon at our fall festival, there are going to be some people that are potentially going to walk around the grounds of Songtag Park by themselves. They don't really know anybody. They will feel alone in a crowd. God, would you just prick our hearts to leave the people that we enjoy hanging out with and to walk over to them and say, hey, let's go get a hot dog together. Let's go watch our kids in the bouncy house together. Lord, would you just convict us to be that kind of a person? And Lord, this week, would you do the same? And Jesus, we want to thank you that, that you just didn't say, would you be with me to the thief on the cross? You say it to us every day. Would you be with me? And we thank you for that. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today, you may have come in here alone, but you can leave here with Jesus. He wants to be with you, and you can be with Him. In just a moment as we sing, I want to invite you, as we sing, to walk the aisle of this church, I would be so glad to pray with you. As you would say to Jesus, Jesus, would you be with me in life? Would you be with me in the journey 
of life. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I just want to be with you and walk closely with you. Would you be with me? Father, have your way with us, we ask in your name. Amen.